Hey everyone, welcome to the second part of our interview with Angela Nagel and Michael Tracy. The main chunk was released free last week and you've probably already heard it. This here is the bonus stuff. For my money, it's actually the most interesting stuff, so I do hope you enjoy it. Before that, just an announcement. We'll be doing a new Patreon show at the end of every month, where we respond to your comments and criticisms. The first one will be at the end of June, and may also include some extra bonus bits from other interviews we record this month. So we'll be taking a look at the responses to the Nagel and Tracy interview, you had a lot to say about that, uh, stuff about COVID and various other bits and bobs over the course of the month. So do keep your comments coming in. Always nice to hear from you. Okay, here's the episode. I was going to say, um, just because I, I the, the British uh, kind of equivalent of this was possibly even more heartbreaking than the American one because mm. it was a general, it was played out in a general election. So um it, it was a kind of right versus left thing in a way but uh but also you know like you know the way um one of the totally tedious and predictable responses to the article is that um is that oh you're uh you you're blaming everything on like the woke left but that's just an irrelevant niche <laughs> which just makes me laugh because i think wait you're saying you are an irrelevant niche <laughs> like, yeah. why why do you even get up in the morning you know <laughs> yeah like, their, their, cou- their, their counter arguments always amount to like we don't matter yeah, so, yeah i think yeah. it's i think it's quite disingenuous when when they do that i think it's a deliberate strategy it's like oh little old us what what influence could we possibly have had you know, despite yeah, yeah, yeah. all of our connections and continual but, production. But of an example of like the, the, the practical implications of that, that culture was seen, you know, for example, in the, uh, the, the, the whole anti-Semitism thing, which ran for a year kind of nonstop, actually, if you followed it from beginning to end uh, or, or something like that. It, it actually went on for a long time. Cause I remember having conversations with people where I said, should I write something about this? And they were like, no, 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 it'll, it'll be fine. It'll go away. And then it just went on and on and on. It, it, it demoralized people. It took up a lot of time. It created a kind of general bad smell around uh, Corbyn, even if I don't think that people actually went to the ballot box and thought, well, I love all his policies, but I think he's an anti-Semite. So I'll vote for the no. Tories. It's, it, no, but nonetheless, it did demoralize people, as I say. It created this kind of bad atmosphere around the whole thing. It, it, it created the sense, you know, I always remember the the uh, articles about Corbyn being an anti-Semite were always accompanied by these pictures of him looking very sneaky, peeking around a corner or like, you know, there in his shell suit, <laughs> <laughs> looking like a sort of like a, one of those um, pictures they put up on, on the tabloids when they out someone as a pedophile or something like that. Mm. Uh, wearing, but, a strange, wearing a strange hat. Yeah, but but so the way that people responded to that was to go, oh, actually, um, the Tories are the real racists. Here's a quote I found from a few years ago that shows that actually they're the real racists. And it's a, it, it's, it reminds me so much of like the Tara Reid thing going on, right? Where yeah. as a last oh my ditch, God. Yeah, so as a last-ditch effort, they went, oh, actually, hashtag believe all women. And it was like, hang on. Just a few months ago, you were saying the Bernie bro thing is some liberal conspiracy, <laughs> liberal identitarian conspiracy against socialists. So which is it? You know, there's just a, this endless kind of mm. reconfiguring of their narrative that they just have to do. And, you know, even the thing like the, the Jackman response about the we should focus on class and not identity, like 
I was literally arguing that for four years <laughs> and, and I never got, I never got any backup from any of the people mm. now saying it, you know? So like, why did they not say it then when it could have actually mattered? Like the reason you got pushback for saying it three years ago that you don't get now is because it would have mattered three years ago. Yeah. I, I think it's, I, I think the, the piece was so good in just, oh, and just, it just made me think how the American left learned all the exactly the wrong lessons from the British left's experience. What you said about um, anti-Semitism, that that you know they they were they clearly just looked at that and they thought, okay, basically Corbyn would have been okay if he just had stronger messaging sooner. And it's like, no, this is this is not the sort of issue that people care about. If if all of the, your advisors were were never on Twitter then you would actually have a better campaign because you would yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't get yeah. distracted by things like this. Yeah, like if <laughs> they'll say, you know, Twitter doesn't matter, you focus on Twitter too much. We had one line about it in in the entire 10,000 word article, but then just like okay, so why does it seem like every person with any purchase whatsoever in the American left is like guided by Twitter, they're on it when they're on it constantly. So like what we should just again, it's this self-denial thing. And yeah, I mean the 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 Tara Reed stuff is like drives me crazy because it's to me it's like the pathetic culmination of a lot of these pathologies that have been underway for a couple of several years now. And of course, you know they memory hold it already. I mean they've already the people who relentlessly promoted it have already abandoned it because it fell apart upon scrutiny as expected. And you know nothing is ever learned or internalized, and it's just like this never ending cycle. It seems where you you feel like you're always. You know, the uh, people have the memory of gnats. No, I mean, that's absolutely right. It's also, I mean, we haven't even talked about kind of COVID or anything like that on this on this episode. But the, you know, I think that probably right now online and the online world looms even larger because people are stuck at home. So kind of that yeah. is that is society for, for them right now. I mean, it it is for me. I'm not, you know, kind of saying this is somehow doesn't affect me, for, you know, for instance, like I think we're all kind of in this right now. No, I think that's right. I mean, I th- I, th- I think this like this denial about the uh, the uh, the potency of the internet is it's just very strange because obviously the the internet is where much of this discussion <laughs> takes place. But then the minute you critique some of the dynamics that are observable within their internet based cultures, they they lash out and 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 blame you for fixating too much on it. No, absolutely. And it's again, it's like not just a thing that happens online, but is something that's formative of a whole way or, or expressive indeed of a, of a whole way of of, of being, um, of interacting and of doing politics, which like, hey, there's plenty of there's enough real world examples of this, that you don't need to just rely on examples from Twitter or how people have been horrible to each other on Twitter um, to to make that point, I think, right? I mean, like, you know, I think the whole world well beyond what happened in the US, like saw those clips from DSA meetings um, and found that whole charade completely absurd, right? Um, with the with the points of information and the points of I can't remember what they're what they're even called, you know. Um, I don't yeah, even know the lingo well has, enough. We went into in the piece too the kind of like abolish prisons, get rid of the A and DSA, open borders, and so on. Um, that these are all part of DSA, like, and so you can't just say, oh, that's just some weird people on the internet. It's your organization. 
You know, it, it's the it's the major socialist democratic socialist organization in America. This is the stuff that's coming out of your own organization. Like you can't say. And another hilarious thing they do is, oh well, you don't. Do you even organize? Like you, you know, you didn't like organize any of our caucuses or whatever. You wouldn't let any any normal person into your organization, right? Because you have to absolutely humiliate yourself by naming your gender pronouns and doing all this absurd stuff which is just an, an elite hazing ritual, you know? Um, so like, good luck uh, getting any normal people into your organization. And, you know, also the thing about like, the new line is like, oh, we don't care about culture, we're just about class. Well, okay, as I said though, you can't wage a relentless culture war for years. I mean, people saw, for example, elderly Trump voters getting beaten up on the streets. There was one image I remember of a guy and he was just going to a Trump rally. He wasn't, it wasn't Charlottesville or something. And he was like an old man and he was getting punched by uh, some guy in a mask. And like, you know, so you're going to beat up elderly Trump supporters. um, (laughs) You're going to like behave like absolute lunatics and you think people are going to put you in power. Another thing is like, you know, um, you know, even for example, people were very angry at me for going on Tucker Carlson. Now it's fine to go on Tucker Carlson. Why? I don't know. It just is. Wait, it, just, it is? I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yes, that's, good. Yes, that's, that's good news for me. Yeah, it's, it's fine once again. There's no explanation given. It's just somebody decided overnight that it's now okay. Oh, but, wow. uh, but, you know, like I remember, for example, you know, there was a time, like a very short time ago, when Tucker Carlson was, even if you don't like him and you disagree with some of what he says, he was the most prominent anti-war voice in all of the mainstream media who was really uh, doing amazing uh, investigative stuff on like Paul Singer and all these kinds of um, like oligarchs and, um, you know, really good stuff like that. He was going in the right direction in so many ways. Um, and they, people, not liberals, but the radical left showed up outside his house and were chanting, we know where you sleep at night, while his wife was inside, scared. Like, that's what the left was doing for the last four years. So did, please- Didn't they try to confront like, at a restaurant? Spare us this stuff about, oh, we don't care about the culture war. What are you talking about? You know, I mean, you can't say, sorry, we ruined your whole society. Sorry, we like destroyed your families and like, uh, you know, hollowed out the entire like rural part of the country and like, you know, have this like antisocial impulse to be against anything that's remotely pro-social. But actually, now that we've completed that task, uh, we're against the culture war. So if you say anything about it, you're the culture warrior. That's the line. That's actually what's behind this new line that they're taking. And I know that's a cynical reading of it, but my experience is that the left is kind of unlike any other group in that you can't just take anything they say at face value. You have to decode the mystification that they constantly have to do to cover yes. up the fact that they are not a working class movement um, and that they are engaged in a class project, but it's just not for the working class. They're engaged in an interleague class conflict and they have to hide that fact. And so they have to always mystify everything. I mean, it's so ironic in a way, right? Because the whole idea of like Marxism, you know, in a way was like demystifying the class relations of society. And like nobody is more involved in mystifying the class relationships of society than the left right now. And also like the DSA 
I mean, if you listen to Bernie organizers speaking amongst themselves, first of all, they've come to just fetishize organizing as an as an end unto itself. That's why they say, oh, do you, do you even organize, bro? Like as if organizing is the highest ideal that any human can achieve, aspire to, even if it doesn't result in any favorable outcomes. It's just like organizing is sort of a self-validating process where you're deriving some kind of value from organizing. But, you know, fair enough. If that's what you want to derive value from, okay. But these organizers are like overwhelmingly DSA people. I mean, they were hired by the campaign. I went and report. I, I was in some of the, I was, I spent a long time in New Hampshire. Every Bernie person, every like Bernie ground troop you spoke to was like a red rose person. So it's like, but then they want to deny that they had any impact because like they can't, first of all, it allows them to evade responsibility for anything. And also, I don't know, I guess it contributes to this mystification, uh, process that that angela refers to where like i i don't know it's like the, uh, the, it's never quite even clear what the claims are and like how you address them because like they deny that they exist i mean I, I, it just uh, d- uh, devolves into incoherency yeah so much and, and i think i think the thing is like if you say this is nothing to do with me you know it's the liberals you know which is something we you guys have already said but that you know that's that's fine, but then there's a certain responsibility to kind of to take them on and to make that argument, um, and the the attempt to just evade it, right, and say no, that's nothing to do with us. Well, that ends up coming back to to bite them in the ass. So I think that's a that that ends up being a kind of circular process. And yeah, I think that what you said, like Angela, is right. That like now they're making these points, but they weren't willing to make it before when it actually when it actually mattered and when it meant actually making potential enemies. Um, and also, I mean, they, they they blame the liberals like, well, where does the activist left and the so-called li- so-called liberals like, where do they part ways on issues of identity right now? Yeah, or is there a big fissure between them on some of these identity-related topics? I don't think so. I mean, they've sort of merged. That's why we came up with the fusionism concept. It's, yeah, they're yeah. one and the same, but they but it's it, but it's convenient for them to pretend as though they they despise one another and are constantly at odds mm. because it again it, it aids in this self-exculpating ritual. Absolutely. Also, you know, that that's another mystification that's going on because back in 2016, uh, there, there, you know, because of Trump and Bernie were both kind of shocks to the system. Uh, and there was a real opportunity there. I remember at the time there was a lot of like, um, uh, desire to fundamentally critique liberalism and stuff like that. And, the right went ahead and did that in various ways. What the left did was essentially gatekeep in order to save um, liberalism by creating these false kind of nuances. So they would say, oh, we're against elite white feminism, but we're in favor of socialist feminism. But what about the fact that, you know, the majority of even women don't identify as feminists and those that do, it's much more of an elite project. Uh, and there's a very good reason for that. If you look at like, um, Christopher Lash has a book, it's like a collection of essays on feminism. And I, I was reading it recently. And one of the things he talks about is like every period in modern American history where there's been a resurgence of, um, not exactly feminism as we would call it now, but sometimes, but like um, a lot of like voluntary female kind of uh, activism and participation in, in kind of creating organizations and stuff like that, it was built upon a period in which people had basically a servant class. Um, and, you know, so the, 
and the, and there's a simple practical reason for that, which is that um, uh, and also uh, Michael Lind has written this piece recently about the connection between um, this whole question of chi uh, China and the kind of like um, bringing back manufacturing to America and so on being linked to the feminist thing because you have the collapse of the family wage and you also have uh, not only an imported migrant servant class at home, but you also have a cheap manufacturing class to produce all of the goods that or produce all of the things that used to be created by women at home. Now, again, I'm not saying everyone should go and be a trad wife. I'm saying that you have to at least reckon with, and this is just one of a thousand contradictions that you can point out, that the project of feminism was always, the project of, of women being involved, very involved politically, was always based on um, resolving the kind of domestic question by uh, by having a servant class. Um, so if you say, oh, I'm a socialist feminist, I care about women workers, well, you know what women workers need? Better wages, which is exactly the same thing that male workers need. So why are you talking about feminism? Right. The whole point is that you unite people. Gender is not relevant here. You can nitpick and say, oh, what about like maternity leave or something like that? But for the most part, you know, the point is to unite people. It's exactly the same thing with the nationalism thing. Right. They say, oh, you want us to be a bunch of bigots. No, you have to have. But you have to if you are arguing for the nationalization of of, um, you know, a, an industry or a, a public facility, you know, you have to have some kind of narrative or you have to have some kind of vision of the future that is going to unite people across the lines of identity. Uh, and so you are basically at loggerheads with identity politics. Again, that's just one, con I'm just throwing it out there. There's one contradiction that they could try to think about, you know, instead of like just... Um, yeah, more, so any more kind of universalizing notion um, and the idea of trying to create a kind of some sort of universal politics by cobbling together various oppressed identity groups when even people who belong to those ascribed identities don't choose to specifically identify as those things, that that creates a yeah. problem. There, there's no basis for creating a social majority that way. Mm. I, 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 just, I just think that they're so resistant to confronting any of these contradictions because to do so could like jeopardize their status in the social worlds that they inhabit. So they, they refuse, they'll, they'll, they're just gonna, they'll refuse or they'll pretend that the contradictions don't exist and then they'll, you know, steamroll right ahead to the next failed <laughs> endeavor that's my prediction yeah no that's that's sad i mean we we've been carrying on this uh discussion i mean on this podcast more generally uh about this and kind of the end of of left populism uh and, and kind of what comes next and it's it's kind of grim really thinking about it because i mean like you know probably like a lot of people kind of got excited by by the by what happened around 2015 2016 and, and the past couple of years Can I just say also that I had to uh, the the one thing I I had to push Michael to not have uh, like multiple other paragraphs about Tulsi Gabbard in the article. <laughs> <laughs> there was one. I to get, there, was, there was. Let's be fair. There was one other, and I agreed to get rid of it. <laughs> Tulsi was silenced in the in the article. Well, she was the only one that we were nice to. <laughs> yeah. Well. No offense to Tulsi, she was great, but it, I just thought you can't. 
Come on. <laughs> we no, can't it's have... all right. <laughs> just Tulsi tol- to... standing. It's like, oh, so this is what this was all about. You're just Tulsiites. That's... <laughs> It's Tulsi 2024. Yeah. I mean, she does, I mean, she, she does embody some of, like, roughly speaking, these sort of left nationalist tendencies that mm. conceivably could be an antidote. I don't know if it's going to be her, um, you know, but there, there is something there. Re- regardless, there needs to be a, a real realignment. And unfortunately, I think a lot of party systems uh, in the U.S. as well as elsewhere kind of impede that from, from actually happening. I mean, in the U.K., that's definitely the case that, you know, that you could really what should happen is a kind of splitting um, of the Labour Party, a splitting of the Conservatives as well, um, and a complete realignment and reformulation. But a lot of things, a lot of structural things, a lot of political institutions kind of stop that from happening. And that's why you, I think you get all these kind of, uh, I guess, weird manifestations, which people can't really make sense of today. Like you guys catalog, you know, this idea that this kind of fusion fusionistic left and the inability to really break free from that it's because people are held together when they probably shouldn't be you know they belong kind of in different in different camps yeah i actually joked the other day i mean not joked but i asked an honest question on twitter um just curious that whether anybody was discussing this not because i think it should happen but genuinely out of curiosity because if one sees kind of the socialist the kind of democratic socialist attempt to to win through the democratic party has there been any entryist attempt through the republican party because if you look at the kind of transformation of the republican party's base i mean you could argue that there's just as good a chance of winning through the republicans as there is to the democrats maybe not now but maybe four years from now you know yeah yeah I mean, Josh, if you're talking about intellectual sort of reevaluation of core precepts, it's happening right now. I mean, Josh Hawley is probably the prime example. Um, but, you know, somebody who I know, Chris, uh, Angela and I both know, Chris Arnotti, you know, he's in constant dialogue with this guy about uh, overhauling some of the Republican uh, economic orthodoxies that are sort of in keeping of what Trump seemed to embody in 2016, but didn't come to the fruition just because of the... Um, the nature of like the like the DC Republican personnel and because of uh, you know Paul Ryan being the Speaker of the House like it just it, it just didn't come to pass you know Bannon getting thrown out because of his personal eccentricities and such, um, but that that is underway to some extent uh, on the right right now and not just like the right intellectual community but like office holding prominent Republicans. Um, uh, even like Marco Rubio, for example, who was like the neoconservative standard bearer in 2016, who was utterly cucked by Trump. Um, even he has sort of changed. He, he's now he, he went over. He went uh, he underwent an evolution since 2016 to be a more accommodating of like the Trump, quote unquote, agenda. And that that entailed shedding some of the like Reaganite. Uh, presuppositions that he had campaigned on in 2016 as like the standard bearer of, uh, and just like, what's, is there anything analogous to that happening on the left? I mean, I guess you could say that there are some, you know, some Democrats who have like, uh, appropriated certain aspects of the Bernie sort of policy agenda, but I don't know. Something about it just doesn't feel as sincere to me. It's actually been really great, and it was fantastic to see so many of uh, my kind of the thoughts that were kind of bubbling, uh, bubbling below to see them expressed in an article. So long live the new Journal of the American Left, American Affairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.